for Thursday, the 27th of August. I'm Randy Kure. This is What's Up, the Sports Podcast. As always, on Facebook and Twitter, should you have any comments, thank you so much for the download and for tuning in. Today, really excited to do a two-part episode. Of course, yesterday, the sports world made an unprecedented uh, move in boycotting a series of games in light of the police shooting involving a Wisconsin man. As more unrest continues... Uh, we'll definitely be talking about that and hope to be joined by contributor Dan Legere. But uh, first off, of course, speaking of unprecedented moves, the National Hockey League is continuing with its playoffs in a format that we've never seen before. The NHL, Major League Soccer, the NBA in playing games in a hub. Of course, the ho- uh, NHL is playing in both Toronto and Edmonton. So very few people outside of the NHL is a part of the bubble. Lo and behold, our very own Tony Antonio is one of those select few working inside the bubble, assisting the National Hockey League, and Tony has been gracious to join us. Tony, how's it going? I'm pretty good. I'm actually in between jobs, so I just finished the first job and my regular job and getting ready to head out to the bubble soon. Yeah, you, there's uh, definitely not a lot of free days in your schedule, is it? Not right now. It's been pretty hectic, but fun, fun. That's great. So uh, Tony is an employee of Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, has been for a number of years. And as the NHL postponed operations due to the COVID-19 pandemic, there was, of course, uh, the restart with uh, the hub, as we all know, both in Toronto and Edmonton. Tony has had the opportunity to work in the hub, as mentioned, and love to know, uh, Tony, how'd you first heard about this opportunity to work in the Toronto hub? Well, well, obviously, the NHL announced the hub cities first, so after that, we, um, you know, we we figure out, is there going to be catering opportunities? I assume there would be, so our our managers fired us out an email saying that, you know, nothing has been finalized yet, but there is a chance we'll be meeting you. These are some of the steps you're going to have to go through. So they, basically what they do is send you out a bunch of um, training manuals, on, um, like online training manuals through their HR department, which covers hand-washing techniques and social distancing stuff, things that you have to be prepared for in the event that we do get to work. And once it was finalized and the NHL figured out their, uh, what they're going to be needing day in and day out, uh, we got the call. And... We just make ourselves available to return to work. Uh, or you don't return to work and you continue to get uh, your SERB payments and whatever uh, whatever MLSE was paying us um, in lieu of not working. They were giving us like a small chunk of change and stuff. So obviously I chose to go back to work because I don't have the benefit of collecting SERB and staying at home because I have a full-time job at a hospital, so... Yeah, and uh, the more money, the merrier. Yeah, for sure. And I, I guess there is uh, something about you being able to work your full time job, and you, that you do have. Uh, a, a, I guess your main source of income, your secondary source of income, was compromised, uh, and uh, so many people are being affected because of uh, the pandemic. And however, that being said, you do have uh, to adjust because the. Uh, income that you were getting before all this happened uh, was compromised. In terms of your responsibilities, uh, what 
are you specifically responsible for and uh what is a what does a typical day include how long is a, a shift shift is about five hours um they are they they're really good they allow us to park in the underground at the scotia bank arena for free which which is fabulous it's so convenient and i think they do it basically they do it they do it for us because you know it it keeps us from you know, kind of walking from one underground to another, through other areas. You know, we basically park in the underground and straight up to the to the to the building. So that's nice of them, and they're able to do it obviously because there's a lot less employees in the bubble right now. I mean, there's some security guards, some catering workers, like I said, some some managers, and everybody else is basically you know the, the TV crews, NHL officials, extra players, housekeeping staff. Um, but I'll tell you, I walked in there the first day. I was I was there for the first game, first day, first exhibition game, uh, Pittsburgh Philly, and the the level of preparation that was put into it, you can see off the bat. And you know, between the NHL and between MLSE, it it was you know nearly perfect. You know, we got in through the main gate. They do temperature checks. Uh, we go through a checkpoint there, and then we go straight to testing. We have to test before every shift. You go straight to testing. Uh, you finish your test, and then you start your shift. So the preparation, uh, the amount of weeks that they put into getting to this point, you can see you know, the hard work they put behind it. Um, and it's been nothing but impressive, to be honest with you, since. So you're saying that uh, basically there was no uh, loss, uh, there was no... Uh lack of direction uh, from the league, basically uh, guys like yourselves and are basically able to get a real sense of what is exactly, ex- um, exactly expected. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty, we walked in and it was pretty seamless, right? Like, like here, here's what you need to know as an employee. You walk in there, you have a mask on, you get tested, you get tested every day and you get temperature checked as well. So, um, the direction comes from our immediate managers, really, and it's, it's not from the NHL, but obviously it's discussions between MLSE and NHL all the way that trickles down to the catering manager, and then they just they, they gave us the direction after that. But, you know, once you get in and you get through all that stuff, you're just doing your job after that. Nothing different than before the pandemic, really. It's like you're, you're there to serve people, feed them, and make sure they get enough coffee in them and water. It's, it's you know... It's basically what I'm doing at the end of the day. So, uh, do you have an idea of how many uh, how many staff are working a game in uh, the support staff employees such as yourself? Ooh, okay. So it depends. Right now, it's it's cut down obviously because we're only down to one game. But when we're looking at you know three games a day, um, you can have up to six of us catering staff. Um, and that's on days when every, you know a bunch of people are working and there are no overtime or anything like that. You got three chefs in the back preparing food, catering managers, usually about two or three quick service managers. But you're probably looking from our department, maybe about ten to twelve staff there per day, plus security guards all over the building. You know, all checkpoints, the usual full time staff. There's probably about six. The 10 cleaners, and I don't know if you've seen Sportsnet's um, Inside the Bubble documentary, 
I haven't seen um, it yet. No, I was actually watching it yesterday, and they are in the lock in the dressing rooms in between games about you know just disinfecting, wiping it down uh, in between teams coming in and what have you. Honestly, I can't give you an exact number, but I would hazard to guess maybe thirty. So, and in terms of support staff that was hired by, uh, now I guess you were hired by Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. Uh, yes. I, yes. So, in terms of equipment uh, that was being brought in by the teams, is that something that's solely uh, responsible by the uh, teams itself? Uh, do you know if MLSE support staff is assisting in terms of uh, bringing equipment for the teams uh, to the locker room, for example, or even on the ice? What kind of equipment, sorry? So, like, I mean, I guess in terms of uh, sticks, pads, uh, even the uh, the uniforms. Uh... Uh, that's that's all the individual teams. Right? It is they, all the, okay. Uh, they, have, they have storage areas all over the building that, and that's the thing, right? They're in and out like you wouldn't believe. Like, I've walked down there to replenish some fridges with drinks and what have you. And not even like 30 minutes after the game's done, you're watching the training crew funneling the bags, you know, the player bags out as fast as possible, throwing them in a truck. And I'm not sure where it goes after that, but that's all teams' responsibilities to to move things in and out. Um, I know that MLSC also has an outside cleaning staff at the building as well, like a contract staff. And all they're doing every five seconds, it feels like, is wiping everything down. All touch points. Anything that could potentially be touched by by one of us or by the media or whatever, they're, uh, they're wiping that down as well. So uh, I, I guess uh, in terms of uh, your regular day-to-day, now uh, before the pandemic compared to now, you're, you're in the catering department. In terms of your specific responsibilities, forget about the atmosphere of the arena. Do you feel that that is significantly different? Oh God, yeah. Where I worked was, you know, there were basically boxes that sit up to forty, sometimes fifty people, and so you go from an environment of, you know, basically being crammed into a box. Sometimes people are like shoulder to shoulder to how it is now, it's a huge difference. And and we talk about this with colleagues. I mean, who knows when we'll be able to work up there ever again under those circumstances. I mean, it'd be interesting to see. And you'd have them believe that COVID is, you know, going to be around forever and just, you know, killing people every five seconds. So I'd, be, I'd be stunned when we'd be able to see that return to normalcy. But there, there absolutely is a huge difference for sure. You mentioned of uh, especially before uh, the like in the beginning stages of the restart that there were multiple games, of course, at Scotia Bank. What is the turnover like in terms of one game to the next? Uh, pretty, pretty incredible because every team has their own uh, sponsorship boards, and in some cases, you know. They're trying to make it as close to the home arena as possible, right? So they kind of have to change the boards with different uh, signs, signage, stickers, and this and that. But really, it's about keeping the ice clean. If, if you notice, uh, they they have dry scrapes uh, 
very often throughout the games. And the ice cream's there from morning to night as well. Um, but the setup is already there. So basically, it's just about maintaining the ice. The place is freezing, by the way, and that's on purpose. I mean, the arena is super cold. It's funny how you're walking in from 30-degree weather, 35 with the humidity, and you are just freezing your balls off once you get inside. <laughs> and, that, and, that's, and that's obviously understandable to keep the ice. We're in the middle of August here, at the end of August. So you're trying to keep the ice as, as, as clean as possible. But I tell you, I, I, I'm always impressed with the way MLSC does things. And I'm not just saying that because I work with them. They, they always do things top flight, top class. This is probably the best I've ever seen. Like, you know, I've worked NBA All-Star Games, NBA Finals, uh, NHL All-Star Game. This has been just a, a real testament to what happens when people get together and plan and organize. And, and the NHL deserves a lot of credit, too. Yeah, especially uh, since there was really uh, no idea of how to move forward, especially in the beginning months in April when, uh, in March when the league shut down, what was uh, a restart going to entail? And did we have to wait till the following season? And the fact that we are able to uh, watch games and that the league is able to operate, all leagues are able to operate uh, during a time when they're really not supposed to or really uh, don't usually uh, play games is uh, really incredible. Now you had mentioned and you were uh, before about how organized the league has been. Uh, can, is there anything that uh, you'd like to add to it? Uh, it just seems that uh, I'm assuming that Edmonton is going uh, and experiencing the same sort of success, but did you ever think that the NHL could whip up this plan as as quick as they did? Um, well, I don't think it was done quickly. I, if, I think if we understand the type of person Gary Bettman is, not, not that we know him personally, but he seems like a very smart and organized dude, and, and he gets things done. I think, I think the difference between the NHL and some of the other leagues is that there wasn't a lot of back and forth between the players and the league. I think, I think everybody got on the same page Pretty quickly. I mean, there was a couple of hiccups. Uh, but look, they've managed to sign off on a new CBA that'll be extend- that was extended. So there's going to be no labor unrest in the NHL over the next two, three years. They kind of couldn't do it because the salary cap's not going to move. So there's nothing really to fight for. But I think the difference between uh, stuff that Gary Bettman and the league does, and, and it's, you know, whatever. This is our plan. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. I don't care what outside people are going to say about us, criticize us, whatever. You know, because you always got to deal with media as well and the fear mongering and, and like, oh my God, NHL players. You know, they, there's no regard for the NHL players' life. They're going to kill themselves and their families and this and that. Like, you hear that crap, and I think sometimes it makes you stop and say, okay, well, do we really need this much negative attention? But I think what the league did was buckle down and say, hey, we're, we're going to do it this way. It's going to be as safe as possible. I think the hub hotel ideas, I don't know if you've driven past the, you know, the exhibition or BMO Field at all um, over the last month, but you know, there's fencing closed off. Like Nobody is allowed in there. That is all their domain, their hub. 
they, they travel to and from buses to the underground. Um, and that, that's what impresses me is, is when, you know, people like that and leagues like that to say, you know what, the players want to play. We want them to play again. Everybody's on the same page. We're going to make this happen and we're going to do it the best we can. Nothing is perfect, right? Nothing is ever going to be perfect. So you can let, you know, all the virtues have the, the worst level of fear-mongering you could possibly imagine, you know, the, the, the hyperbole crap. You know, they stuck to it, they got it done, and it's working. It's working a lot better than I, than I thought it would be. I mean, it sucks watching hockey without fans, but even the atmosphere within, when you're actually watching some, you know, I get to get out and watch a few games live, um, the music, the, the noise that's pumped in, and even listening to the skating and the passing, I, there's something cool about it for me personally because I love the game of hockey so much that there's there's such a personal feeling to it. You can hear, you know, coaches barking. You can hear players talking to each other and what have you. So that part of it has been cool, but you know, obviously it it, it doesn't beat um, it doesn't beat you know the actual experience of playing in your home arena in front of your home fans. And hopefully we get back there soon. But given everything that's been going on, honestly, this has been kind of cool uh, to be a part of. And and I'll tell you another thing, my honest opinion, forget about putting an asterisk on whoever wins the Stanley Cup. Because I, I it is damn hard for these players who are creatures of habit to be going through this thing, right? It can't be easy. And we saw Tuka Rask finally backed out and said, you know, I, I, I need to get back to my family. It is very, it is probably extremely difficult for them. Now, I know we're thinking, oh, how hard it could be just to stay at a nice hotel for, for a month. And uh, you know what? When you're an athlete, you're a creature of habit. When you go to a city, you have places that you know you're going to go to, unwind, relax, get your mind off hockey, you know, pick up some women, go to a bar, whatever, <laughs> right? It, it is. It's, it's a part of their lives. And I could tell you a quick story because I ran into Brandon Dillon. Um, uh, of the Washington Capitals, he actually, you know, he was asking me for directions, and the Capitals weren't playing last night, but he's like, I'm actually running out of things to do in the hotel room, so I just figured I'd come and watch some, some of the game, you know what I mean? So he's not the only one who's taken like that and feeling like that. So it, it's a huge mental hurdle. So whoever wins the Stanley Cup, for me, I'm not putting an asterisk beside. It's one, it, you know, at the beginning, you're thinking, oh, this is a COVID asterisk cup. No, whoever wins this cup deserves a ton of credit because it's not easy. I'll tell you right now, I, I, I don't envy the position because it, it's tough to get up for games without fans and, and being away from your family as well for that long, not being able to you know, see them, touch them, hold your kids and this and that. Um, I, I have a, a tremendous amount of respect for whoever wins the Stanley Cup. Well, and, and to that, the fact that, yeah, uh, the NHL, the NBA, they did not play the full 82-game season, but I couldn't agree with you more in the sense that as I could appreciate how much of a creature of habit these uh, athletes are. And I was wondering if maybe five years after, uh, after the fact, if we do get to where we once were before the pandemic, if people are going to forget. I don't think there's any way that people can forget. The fact that hockey had to return in July and August, 
and that they're not playing in front of fans, they're not around their family. Forget about the fact that they're in a hotel, a nice hotel, but you could just appreciate the kind of cabin fever they would get. And mm -hmm. no, this is uh, totally uh, not uh, uh, comparable to, say, a lockout shortened season, say, when the Devils won the uh, Cup in the mid-90s. Very quickly, Tony, I, for a guy who, as you mentioned, worked the NBA All-Star Game, worked the NBA Finals and other uh, special events that people would just kill to be a part of. You're a part of this incredibly unique experience, being the envy of so many hockey fans and sports fans in general. How does this experience compare to the previous experience that uh, experiences that you had before? Uh, wow, good question. Um, hmm. it's, it's unique. It's definitely unique. I think it's totally different because, you know, I don't know if the hype is the same, obviously, because it's just so different and weird and it's quiet and you're on eggshells. You're trying not to get too close to people. You're trying to continually wash your hands and be responsible, you know, because we're serving people, right? I mean, we're serving staff. We're serving NHL officials. We're serving on-ice officials, ice cleaning uh, clearing crew, uh, TV crews. So, you know, it's it's definitely a little bit more, it was a lot more nerve-wracking at the beginning. But as time goes on, you're seeing the same people day in and day out, and you're feeling a lot more comfortable. So from that aspect, the experience has been very cool. I'll tell you right now, it's been, it's been really cool because just to see how careful everything is and how well-prepared everything is, and uh, definitely a lot more nerve-wracking, you know, <laughs> because it's, everything is just so different and so new. Great stuff. So, uh, Tony, we are just going to uh, take a small break. Uh, we are going to uh, set up for the second half of this episode, see if we can find Dan Legere. And it's been an incredible day. It's been an incredible year in terms of sports, but, of course, uh, life in general. Yesterday, the sports world took the unprecedented step in terms of boycotting games due to a uh, social uh, situation that had taken place. We'll be talking about the sports world boycotting games with Tony Antonio, hopefully with Dan Legere. Hang tight. We'll be back in a second. And we're back. Randy Couray, Tony Antonio, talking about uh, all things sports, especially in the uh, world of 2020. Thrilled to be uh, joined by contributor Dan Legere. Of course, Dan is a familiar uh, voice and name to What's Up the Sports podcast. It's been a couple of months. Dan, thank you so much for joining me. How have you been? I've been, uh, been doing well, Randy. How are you? Tony, nice to speak to you as well. Hey, buddy. So, uh, Dan, you know, just very quickly, uh, it's been a number of months, and we haven't really spoken since uh, everything uh, ch uh, turned upside down in terms of the pandemic. How is your family? How is uh, work? You guys coping okay? Yeah, as, uh, as well as anybody can be, I guess, uh, like anybody else. Every day is a new guessing game, a new hurdle, a new uh, set of rules to live by or to uh, adhere to, but... Um, Generally, we've been fortunate enough to both uh, continue working, working from home. Uh, and actually, this week we just uh, we sent the little guy, the little four-year-old. We sent him back to uh, to camp for the last two weeks of summer to 
Well, the idea is to transition into a smooth school year, but now, you know, that decision is still sort of up in the air. It's maybe not final yet, but that's a long answer to say we're uh, we're doing okay. Thank you, Brad. No, for sure. Uh, I really hope you, Tony, uh, your families are uh, doing well and certainly keeping safe. So, guys, uh, as a sports fan, just as a person in general, we have not seen anything like this here in 2020. Of course, to experience something like a pandemic in terms of our usual day-to-day routine, everything has been changed and after five and a half months we really haven't seen uh, any sort of progress Uh, in terms of the sports world the nhl the nba uh, sports are playing in a completely different dynamic and now throw in the social uh, situations that have taken place of course the nba being very vocal with regards to uh, black lives matter uh, that initially starting from the death of George Floyd. Of course, yesterday, a shooting in, uh, well, uh, the shooting was a couple days ago. Yesterday, a series of games were boycotted, boycotted, led by the Milwaukee Bucks after the shooting of a Wisconsin man at the hands of police. Dan, your initial thoughts to when you heard the NBA decided to boycott games, uh, what immediately came to your mind? Uh, truthfully, I think it's great, uh, and, and I come from the standpoint of uh, the father of a young boy who will soon start to idolize sports heroes and movie stars and athletes and uh, musicians as I did as a kid. It, 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 um, it's positive in the sense that my son might look at a guy like LeBron James, who seemingly can do, can do no wrong and has everything going for him and is, is the perfect athlete. He's sort of the Michael Jordan of his time, maybe even my time. And he sees that he's willing to stand up for something that he believes in. You know, whether or not somebody agrees with what he's arguing, it's admirable for him to, and for the rest of the players, to, to, to make such a, a noticeable stand, to, to get people talking about it like we are today, and to get people thinking about what's happening around us. You know, to, two videos came out in the, in the past few days that just that make any sort of reasonable person look back and say, well, that just doesn't seem right, right? There's... there's there's no way that uh, you know we can justify the disparities in, in the way that we're dispensing justice and the way that we are treating each other. You know, it, it starts to feel like, and maybe you know, with with COVID and with all this uh, you know social injustice and all these protests and fighting, there's a real sense all around us that the world is crumbling. You know, when you, you talk to a man and, and people are worried about their kids, they're worried about their futures, they're worried about their health, they're worried about you know being able to go outside without fear of, you know, something might come to them. And if, if we're willing to stand by and let black people be targeted by police as they seem to be doing right now, what's stopping down the road from, you know, society turning on Italians or turning on Greeks or turning on uh, the Chinese or turning on Muslims, you know, and they've been targeted before and, and still are. So, you know, from, from the sense that if we're not all safe, none of us are safe, you know, for the players to make to make a stand and say, you know, we're not playing to shine light on uh, what we disagree with is happening around us um, and things that need to be fixed. I, I think I think we're overdue for that sort of monumental moment in time. You know, Chris Johnson said it on Hockey Night in Canada the other day. This, it's not supposed to be a moment. It's supposed to be a movement. 
uh, you know, and, and if kneeling isn't working anymore, if names on the back of jerseys isn't getting anybody talking or getting anybody energized anymore, it just becomes part of life, then, then, then we're not solving anything. Then the next step needs to be taken. So, you know, I would be in favor of, of canceling the whole thing. I thought from the beginning sports was an unnecessary distraction to what's going on um, and, 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 and proves just how really useless this sports is to our society outside of the economic gain and, and the and, and I shouldn't say useless because it can it can unite cities and it can unite people and it can bring a lot of goods to a lot of places and a lot of people. But, you know, you talk about life and death situations, whether it be COVID or whether it be fighting in the streets, sports really means nothing. And if these guys are willing to use their platform for something that they believe in, something I personally believe in as well, then, um, you know, more power to them. Well, and, and it's so funny because in the middle of March, uh, when sports shut down because of the pandemic, everybody was thinking to restart their respective leagues. And then George Floyd happened. And then Richard Brooks happened. And for me personally, I, I did think that it was important to still continue sports. But the fact that the NBA created this uh, platform with the uh, with Black Lives Matter, the the statements, the statements that they have on jerseys, that it was, I guess, extending the message and enhancing the message, making it more louder and more visible, and that hopefully that they uh, were going to get the message across. And obviously, with the shooting that took place with Jacob Blake, it doesn't seem that it's really working. Immediately after I, I came to learn of the uh, boycott of the uh, first the Milwaukee Bucks Orlando Magic game, I initially thought that it would fall on deaf ears, especially if other leagues didn't follow suit. I didn't think it was going to move the needle. Now, of course, other uh, games were postponed. Other leagues took part. Uh, Tony, how bold a statement was this by the NBA, particularly the uh, Milwaukee Bucks, Orlando Magic, and the uh, other teams that followed suit. Like, considering they could have been the only games and teams that could have boycotted. Um, I mean, it, it was a statement, I guess. Uh, I don't know if it was a bold one because the, they're, they're playing tomorrow, right? So, what? My my question is this, and and this, I'm not. The opinions of everybody is going to vary. Well, those that do vary sometimes get labeled things they shouldn't. That's why it's difficult for me to broach the subject. I, you know, the question I have is what? What is the end result? What is expected to happen? Is it justice? Is it you know like we got justice in you know justice started happening for George Floyd almost immediately, right? Like Derek Chauvin was arrested immediately. Uh, the cops took a week. The rest of the guys, they were, they were arrested, and they're going to go through the process now. Um, Portland is still burning. Seattle is still burning. I mean, we can, we can focus on the one issue of police brutality against black people, which is also an issue you can have serious conversations about because, you know, I think the way things are said to us, presented to us, in the news, I think it's tremendously irresponsible, and I think it, in, it incites a lot of the hatred and the racism, racism and the divide that's happening in our world, in our society right now. Everybody's pretty cool for the most part, in my opinion, guys. I don't know, like, 
you know, and, and that's not to say there's not racist people. Of course there are. But if you want me to buy a narrative that, you know, white cops are waking up in the morning and hunting down, as Michelle Obama says, an endless amount of black men on the streets day in and day out, I'm, I, I check out. You know, if you want to have serious conversations, especially a lot of these leaders who are really irresponsible with their messages, and that's why, that, that's, and that's the thing that upsets me the most. Like, it's like there are serious problems and serious conversations that could be had on this topic that covers a whole range of things, but it never does. It always talks about one particular aspect, and you can't have you can't have it one way or in no way at all. Right. Well, originally, and uh, you know, to start with uh, what you had talked about, because I was wondering what the end result was as well. So when, and I originally thought of that when the first game was boycotted, because especially if there wasn't going to be any participation from other uh, teams, other leagues, because detractors from uh, the NBA, especially uh, to their recent political uh, stances. They're not going to have a change of heart, change of opinion. Uh, they may uh, disagree with their position even further. Having said that, the uh, multiple games have been uh, boycotted. There was talk of just scrapping the entire season altogether. And I think that is something in terms of uh, insisting change. read on Twitter, Vander Kane put the tweet out, um, you know, they're strongly suggesting that the NHL postpone their games tonight, right? You know, the, the Hockey Diversity Alliance, which I think, by the way, is a great idea. I think hockey needs to work on their racial um, issues, situations. I, I love that idea, and I think there are a lot of good people on the diversity, on the diversity alliance that are going to work, hopefully, with the NHL to talk about real change, you know, and, instead of pushing out this one narrative. But in that tweet, it says that they've also asked NHL owners to open up their arenas to allow black people to get in and, and vote because of this you know, alleged voter suppression by, by Donald Trump. So all of a sudden we're becoming political, right? Is this politics or is this social issue? What does that have to... What, what, what will voting do to make a difference with racial inequality, lack of, you know, lack of sufficient funding and, and lack of options for young black kids to go to better schools, not in their neighborhoods in the United States. And here's another question I have for LeBron James and Evander Kane. Will you allow people who vote Republican into those arenas to vote? You know what I mean? This is where the message gets mixed up for me, and this is where I get a little bit antsy about hanging on to one narrative and one narrative only. Serious conversations can only, like serious results can only happen when there is everything, the whole scope that needs to be discussed. I'm down with sitting down and talking about racial inequality all day, all night, right? But if we're only pushing one narrative and if it's only focusing on one thing, we are not doing justice to what we should be focusing on. That's just my opinion. Dano, any uh, thoughts? Uh, yeah. Tony's right. Nothing is black and white. Everything has history. Everything has... Um, Subplots and context is important, um, but but I, I I disagree with it with, with a lot of what Tony said because I don't think that you know 
blending politics with social issues or, you know, a, a, a platform that society has put athletes on, rightly or wrongly. They're, they're in their limelight and they're influential people. And they're, they're people on the planet who live with us and, uh, you know, have to uh, live with the consequences of what's happening around us and, you know, are, have family members and have aging parents and, you know, they're, they're, they're people. So to say that they shouldn't be part of the political discussion just because they're athletes is, is, is silly. Just as much I'm as not, I shouldn't be part of the political I'm discussion. Not saying, I'm not I wasn't issue. saying that at all. I wasn't saying that at all. What I'm saying is, is that is it a social issue or is it politics? Are we, is this... Is this just a way of funneling all the blame into one sector and then opening up arenas to allow a lot of people to vote Democrat? Like, my question is, are those are those same black people walking into the arenas that open up for voting, let's say, will they be, will they be ostracized if they vote Republican? Or do they walk in quietly with their heads down and, like, just put a little check mark and tick and then run the hell out of there as soon as possible? Do you understand? This is where the message gets a little... It gets a little clammy for me. It gets a little antsy. Well, uh, it, it, sorry, Dana, go ahead. It makes me nervous because, you know, you mentioned LeBron James. LeBron James grew up in a, a horrible situation, right? He's born. He had tremendous amount of skill, put all his effort, his work ethic, everything he had into becoming what he's become. He's earned it every step of the way, works his ass off, and he seems to be a phenomenal father with a great family structure, and brings up his kids, is bringing up his kids the right way. You watch him on Instagram, you do all that. Like, he has all these qualities that you see in, in a um, being a man there for his family and this and that. And then he turns around and spreads negative messages to people, uh, to, to, to black people, I think. And I think it's dangerous. I think it's very dangerous. Michelle Obama does it too. Barack Obama does it. I think these are dangerous messages to send out. And we're basing it on isolated incidents that happen with police who are attending to crime, criminals, right? I'm not justifying seven shots in the back, but we've got, like, we have to find a way to stop turning this into a race war every time. I I think that's, you know, might not be popular what I'm saying, but... No, and uh, definitely, uh, I for one uh, appreciate... can use his platform to be a lot more positive for the community than spewing this. And what it tells me is that it's extremely political. This is, you know, he is putting out a narrative on behalf of the Democratic Party, and this is all in an attempt to get... I guarantee you on November 4th, this is all gone, if they win. Right. Well, okay, so when you were were talking about... uh the voting versus from Democrat versus Republican. I think that there is something about Americans. Well, maybe uh, throughout uh, the world, especially when they come from low income situations that they don't exercise their right to vote. So whether it is essentially Democrat versus Republican, I'm wondering if this is respectfully Democrat versus the Trump administration. I don't know if, and Dan, I'd love to hear your thoughts. I don't know if the Trump administration is a true reflection of the Republican Party. This is something that we have never experienced uh, in terms of the divide, especially in terms of our lifetime. But in terms of opening uh, arenas and stadiums to vote, which 
I think is a fantastic idea. Apparently, there are not that many. Uh, the the voting centers are few and far between, and it does take a number of hours to vote uh, in the United States. But if somebody, say, of uh, an urban setting, let's say that they are black or a visible minority, they're not going to be. They're not going to know, and uh, people around them are not going to know who they're going to vote for. So long as they're at the center, so long as they are exercising their right to vote and have their voice heard, I think that is what the message is. Of course, yeah. And I think it's, again, I think it's an admirable thing. I think, you know, getting people to vote, well, I just, you know, I wonder what would, if you found out who you voted for, like, are we, is it the same thing? It, be honest. Don't say, oh, we want you to get out there and vote. No, we want you to get out there and vote for the other old white man, not the one who's there right now. You know, well, be, be honest. Let, let's let's talk real here, right? Like this is, you know, this is the narrative that's being pushed on us. And, and it, you know, sports for me is a release from reality. I to tune in and watch a game and put everything aside. And you can't even get that anymore. But that's fine. It, it, these people have a platform. They deserve to use it. They've earned the right to speak their opinions. I just, I'm not sure we're taking care of all the problems we should be taking care of when it comes to this subject when you're only focusing on one thing. Dano? Uh, yeah. <clears throat> so going back to, you know, Michelle Obama and LeBron James making or creating false narratives out of isolated incidents and Tony did. You said it yourself, and I hope I'm quoting exactly, but to paraphrase, you said we can't be creating a race riot or a race war every time this happens. Well, the problem is the last few words in your sentence. This happens all the time. It happens week after how week. Many times? Happens. How, how many times? times? How many times? How many times? What do you how mean? How many times? All the time. Twice. No, but twice in the past few days. Trayvon Martin going back there, going back to the years of suppression, the years of of ghettoization of the black people, the years of mistrust in the justice system, the years of, you know, the, the, the Chicago 7. How many incidences do you okay, need? so we're, we're taking the, it the, back to, we're taking yes, it back home yes. when America wasn't, you know, the best. Like, we're totally when, ignoring the last 50 years and this and that, right? Like, Tony, if you want to talk about a real conversation with context and, and, and facts and looking at the whole picture, yeah, you got to go back to when black people were brought to America on boats and forced to work for free for hundreds of years. That hasn't been resolved yet, and it keeps getting worse for them. Okay, We're not making things better for them. We're not making them more inclusive. We're not making them feel welcome parts of society. We're keeping them in society in general. I'm not doing anything about it, neither are you. We should be protesting. We should be burning down our institutions and reworking this to make our country, especially Canada, open and, and honest and workable for everybody. I don't care who you are. I don't care what color you are. You're, and you're black people are getting shot in the back while they're, while they're either running away from the cops or if they're in front of their kids or if they've got a fucking neck on their, on their, a knee on their neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. That's a problem. That's not happening to white people. It's not happening to us. That's it why happens. we... Tony, it, it doesn't. Like it doesn't it happen happens more often. Tony, it doesn't. It doesn't, Tony. Come on. It happens, it happens a lot to white people, too. There's, no, the it doesn't. Right? Black people are targeted by police more often than not. More black people are in jail because of marijuana possession than any other color. Come on, Tony. What are you talking about? We don't target the black people. We don't target ghettos. We don't have swarms of cops in Chicago's inner cities and New York's inner cities. Even here in Toronto, Jane Finch is, in, is in monitored more heavily than up in Bradford. I haven't seen a cop in three months. 
But, it, but isn't that where more it, crime is happening? Aren't, 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 isn't there supposed to be more police president presence where more crime is happening, though, Dan? Like, like no? Well, I, I mean, I think, uh, I think in terms of police brutality, working in a news perspective, I, I, I kind of have a little difficulty hearing about police brutality against, say, white people, for example, because if we came to learn of a death, uh, especially in terms of the greater Toronto area, if we came to learn to hear, hear about a death, we're going to report it. And we're not going to hear about it. Well, I mean, uh, says who? Because I mean, if the about police, a, well, okay. the the special about in, someone white, let's say. Well, I, if there is, chances are we're not going to hear about it, Randy, because it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter, and chances are most of us white people will be like, "Well, hang on a second. What what did you do? And you were what? You were resisting, and you were you tried to do what? Well, I'm sorry, that's a chance you take." I think I think now Sammy Yatin. I I, I don't know uh, what his uh, ethnicity what is, but uh, he certainly isn't black. And he was shot by he was shot by a Toronto police uh, officer uh, at a TTC streetcar when he was the only person in the uh, streetcar. Well, I mean uh, that cop. He he wasn't his name Forsillo, I believe. Yeah, James Forsillo. That's right. So, uh, Sammy Yatim, and that uh, that case, that was headline news, and uh, at the top of the uh, the headlines for for weeks. And uh, I could only imagine that there would, if there were more police uh, brutality, if there was more uh, instances uh, involving uh, a citizen getting hurt, no matter what the race is, especially in uh, Toronto. And I I could, for one, only comment in terms of uh, the Toronto area, that it is going to get reported. The Special Investigations Unit will be reporting that. The, uh, the, Toronto, uh, the Toronto Peel Region, Hamilton Police, uh, they're going to be reporting that. If there is uh, an outcry from, say, uh, the family of uh, said victim, that they're going to hear about it. News outlets are not going to you know, shoo it away because the victim isn't black. Uh, that I mean, that's the way I see it, and I sure there. Uh, I'm sure that there have been instances where whites were subdued by police with excessive force. But we are, and and Dano uh, alluded to this that the history does have to be included to what's going on today. Um, now, in terms Talking of about what happened back in 1619 has to be well, uh, 1619. I mean, that's one thing. But I mean, in terms of the Central Park Five, in terms of um, Trayvon Martin uh, and other uh, instances, there are movements such as Colin Kaepernick in terms of Black Lives Matter that does focus on a severe issue. And I think that there is something to be said that if there is an uh, a movement in terms of equality, that if there is a disagreement, if there is a fundamental disagreement, that there has to be a need to work on a resolution to identify what it is. Uh, Kanye West, when he was saying that George uh, George Bush hates black people because of Hurricane Katrina, was that completely unfounded? I mean, in 2000 and uh, 
four, I guess it was. I think it was because there was there was no uh, prior history, especially of George Bush alienating black people. Now, the response to New Orleans may have been poor, but was that a result of it being New Orleans and it's a community full of uh, uh, black residents? I, there, there's hey, no evidence to support that. Perhaps. It's just like... You look at two ways, guys. You know, you look at so, uh, sorry, Dano, uh, you want to... Um, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to ask Dan, like, yeah, what he said before was, was you know, fabulous. Let's all come together. I'm, like, you know, I'm willing to stand next to... Anybody, if there's inequality and injustice going on, my question is, what like, what do we need to do? Like, that's my question. Like, if if let's look at it from just police interaction uh, perspective. Like, if you're if you're an arch criminal, you're committing crimes. You don't want to get arrested. You're reaching into your car. Seven shots is excessive. You know, at what point do you have to put your Put your mind into a police officer. Maybe he's not trained properly to be totally poised, but he's thinking to himself, hey, I want to go home to my family tonight, and I'm not going to give this guy an opportunity to take that away from me. Black, white, red, doesn't matter who. I'm not giving him that opportunity tonight. I want to go home to my family. Do you know what I mean? Like, we put our, just, just as easy as we are, to like criticize police officers, we don't take the time to put ourselves in their shoes too, right? It's not an easy job. The only questions I, I had, sorry, the, the, the point I was trying to get to is what do we need to burn down exactly to get what for who? Like give them more jobs? Like don't they have opportunities to get jobs here? I say they, I shouldn't say they. I mean, doesn't everybody have a legitimate opportunity to find work here? Let's talk about Toronto specifically. No, not at all. Dano? Well, listen, that, that, that's not a yes or no question. It, would you agree that wealthy white boys who go to St. Mike's have better opportunities than an urban black kid from Jane and Finch? They have better opportunities than I do. Who does? That's for sure. <laughs> they have better, better opportunities than a kid who grew up from Scarborough, right? Like, they have the benefit of being rich white boys, right? I, I get it. But for sure. So then, so then that, that institution needs to be crumbled because if, if we're talking about a, a country of, of of opportunity, of freedom, of um, you know commitment to, to to the cause, then everybody has to have the same opportunity. And you know these these uh, these and I believe and we pretend that that doesn't exist that that there isn't a classist uh, you know systemic problem that there isn't. You know, problem when it comes to race in our own country. It's there. It's alive, and and, and individual racisms are fine to to a, to a degree because you know people are people, and they're allowed to to feel and uh, behave to a certain degree, however they want. But but and I think I think it's more important. You know, based on everything you were saying, Tony, I I, I think you can look at it two ways. You can say, one, let's go down the laundry list of of incidences that that we can pull that, that carry weight to our argument as to um, you know, why this Black Lives Matter movement uh, is important right now. Or we could objectively look each other in the eye and say, today on August, uh, whatever today is, in the year of 2020, do we agree that things can be better? Do we agree that, you know, not everybody has, has got the same opportunities, has got the same advantages, has got the same support from, from our own country in Canada? And, and, I, and I think you know, at any moment in time, you can say yes, because nothing's ever perfect. 
So in, then you start to extrapolate. You say, okay, so so what do we want out of our society? We want people to feel included. We want them to be to be vibrant. We want them to work. We want them to to you know to all these things that sort of lead to the the, the perfect utopian place for people to live, which isn't the reality. And I think people know that. But if we ignore what's happening right in front of our faces every day, where where people are, you know, Tony, I, you grew up in Scarborough, so you must you, know, you must know some black people. You must have some black friends. Ask me if they've ever been pulled over for no reason, driving a you know sort of a a nicer car in, in the middle of summer. Ask me if they've ever been weird at when they go into a Foot Locker because the cashier is worried that they're going to rob the place. And then think about if you've experienced those, those same things, and that's on a very micro level. So to extrapolate that to a macro, you you, you can't. You can't politicize, you, you can't, you can't uh, govern for individual people. So you look at it collectively and you say the stats are telling us that more black people are incarcerated, more black people are targeted by police, more black people are unemployed or whatever the stats are. And you look at that and you say, okay, that, that's a problem. And if as a white person I need to sacrifice something to make sure that the people around me thrive because I know it will benefit society as a whole and my community and my kids, then I'm willing to do that. Then and, and, and I think that the, the NBA players, mainly because we're talking about them, recognize that as well. So, you know, Kyrie has been very vocal in saying that he's willing to give up everything for, 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 for this cause. And, you know, whether or not, again, going back to my original point, if you agree with his views on life or not, you'd have to look at a guy and say, listen, he, if he, he, it means something to him. So at the very least, as, as someone who doesn't look like him or has the same experience as him, it's my duty to listen. And, and to not go at it with a, uh, you know, back up against the wall ready to defend, but rather than listen because I'm willing to understand and I, and I want to be a part of change. And whether I see it or not, my life might not change. But you know what? It, 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 again, going to harpening back to another point I made before, where if, if nothing else, if this boycott gets into a seven or eight year old or nine year old boy or girl's head and says, Listen, these guys are, you know, standing up for something that's more important, and I may not understand it right now, but they're shining a light on something that, that, that I should be paying attention to. And maybe it changes the minds of some kids, and maybe they stop saying the N-word just, you know, out of jokes, even though they're not racist people. Maybe they stop saying retard or stop, you know, looking at people the wrong way just because they're not the same color or skin, which, is, which I think is important, especially in a country like Canada where, we just, uh, our, our diversity changes every day. It keeps growing. It keeps getting more more and more away from what we used to know. And and, and this notion that we're going to get back to, you know, when things were great, this is bullshit. We're, we're here now. We've got the people. We've, we've got all our, all our things, all our whatever. And let's, you know, let's... But, but according to the narrative, Dan, yeah. things have never been great. I mean, we are living in a horrible systemic, oppressive, disgusting society, North America, Canada, and the U.S., right? Like, yeah. what, what, what is great? I mean, there is no such thing as perfect and great, like you said. Um, according to the narrative, like, hey, listen, but I don't hear everything. That's the difference. Like, you, you can listen to, you know, and, there's, and that's another thing. There's no one ever to question uh, LeBron's statements or, or some other people's statements. Okay, well, what do you mean by that? Back that up. Uh, okay, so per capita now, you know, what does that mean? What do you mean they're being hunted in the streets? Can you explain that to me? Can you get an endless amount? Okay, can you give me a list of those? Like, there's nobody ever there to question these guys, and when they do get questioned, you're a racist, right? Like, it's what are the other issues within the communities that should be worked out 
that we shouldn't be helping with, right? Uh, Dan, Dan, sorry, uh, Dan, if you wanted to uh, respond to that, uh, I just have one quick question. We could tie a bow on uh, this particular question. But, Dano, did you want to uh, just uh, sort of respond before we uh, before we proceed? Yeah, rhetoric exists on both sides. Uh, you know, and uh, in today's world of uh, you know everybody's attention span is short and headlines sell and nobody's got time for context or depth. Uh, you know. Both sides use rhetoric that is maybe um, amplifying their message. You know, Trump does it, uh, you know, Pence does it, Pelosi does it, Schumer does it. They all do it. So, you know, as far as the words that they choose, I don't have necessarily a problem with on either side. Um, but, I, but I think if you, you know, Tony keeps saying we need to have a conversation, we need to understand. I'm, I'm pretty sure that, you know, either Michelle Obama or LeBron James, the two people we've been talking about, have have discussed what they think is important and voter registering, getting people to vote is one of those issues where in LeBron James's eyes, he feels that the black vote has been suppressed, suppressed by Republican governments through gerrymandering and those sort of things. And, you know, he's, he's providing an opportunity for people to come vote. I don't know that, um, you know, legally or even in his mind, he's setting it up for more democratic votes. Uh, and if he is, then then he should be, you know, looked at with, with criminal intent, just as anybody else who tries to sway the election. What, I'm not even concerned with that. My question is, what happens after that? Like, when we get past, you know, the systemic police, white supremacist assholes who walk around with guns hunting black people down, right? Like, I say that tongue in cheek, but when we get past that one narrative, what ha- Like, who who gets into these communities? When do we start? Because, like, listen, I'm old enough to remember the Rodney King rise. And I'm old enough to remember, like, and those, like, that to me felt like a movement. It felt like something. It felt like something that needed to get to where it got to. Um, because there was actual, there were leaders within those communities in Los Angeles, ex-gang members, and this, trying to root the problem from within out. And I don't know if that's happening now. And that's, what, that's why I think the black community will not advance within their own community, you know, because you can't overlook the black-on-black crime. And, and, and as a, like, by the way, the NHL is leaning towards postponing games tonight. Um, you can't overlook that either. And my fear, and it's a fear because like, we're watching kids getting blown away in the streets. And it's sad to me because I think all these kids have a chance. They have a legitimate chance at life. So when we get past the narrative that's happening right now, do they go into those communities and figure out how we stop this? Do we figure out how we can get kids into better schools where they're allowed to leave their communities and take it, just like Ice Cube did, you know, where he took a 45-minute bus ride out of Crenshaw to go to a real school and get a real education in, in, in a state for, you know, because these these are things that have been happening in democratic-run cities for years, right? Like, we've, that stuff has never changed. We're handing money out, you know, and just, here, take money and let When do we get to that? Because until we get to that problem, you can, you can kneel all you want, you can burn buildings all you want, you can, you can virtue signal all you want, you can put a black box on your, um, you know, Instagram account all you want. Nothing is going to change. Well, and uh, if uh, if there is uh, uh, if that leads to the point of 
uh, how it's going to improve uh, those with uh, lesser opportunity than if it uh, does start with this kind of uh, beginning uh, and lead to that kind of end, then uh, perhaps it, it will be... Well, it it, uh, it remains to be seen. Very quickly, guys, I know both, uh, all three of us uh, do have to uh, get going. I did want to ask about uh, this entire uh, issue and everything involved with, specific to social media. Uh, social media has been very critical in terms of uh, the boycotts uh, from a sports perspective, but also in terms of a different uh, a person's different opinion. And uh, with regards to sports, the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, you know, which includes kneeling during the anthem, the name change uh, as well with regards to the Washington Redskins and the Edmonton Eskimos. Uh, Dano, with a communications background that you do have, is social media a proper gauge to get a sense of how society feels? feels towards, say, a social matter? Uh, no. Short answer. Uh, no, it, 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 you know, people who are on social media are not necessarily representative of the way that the collective feels. Uh, but, you know, I can provide a snapshot to how segments feel. You know, Twitter is a good example of, uh, it just seems to be a, a such pool of uh, you know people being able to to spout off on whatever they whatever they want, which is again great. We live in a society where we allow that, but uh, generally no. It, 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 you know, you, you 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 pull your neighborhood, which is why you know door to door knocking in politics is still very much important because online voices aren't representative of uh, or not necessarily representative of the way people truly feel. You know, when it comes to names like the Redskins and Eskimos. I think majority of people just don't give a shit either way. I think they, they look at it and say it's a name. If people are upset about it, it's changing. Other people get upset about it because it means a lot to them. But those voices, you know, let's just take the, the, the Redskins as an example. For years, you know, there was all kinds of voices uh, online and in the media of people who were saying this is our football heritage and, you know, we got to hang on to it and, you know, and, and that sort of uh, argument. But, you know, you extrapolate that across the country. How many people is that really? Is, is it even a percentage of the people who are that adamant about keeping the Washington Redskins name? So, is it, you know, social media can be a fun place. It can be a dangerous place. It can be an informative place. But it's, at the end of the day, it's, it's really just it's really just entertainment. And, you know, uh, and there's nothing much more to it. Tony, uh, what do you what do you think? Uh, for me, yeah, like I I love going on Twitter a lot and reading replies to people. And, and, and when I say replies, I'm not talking about the idiots that just, you know, the bots with no, with three followers and no avatars, you know, like Luke Skywalker. So I mean, the people with legitimate, and, and it, it, it does give me a good gauge on where people are. You know, you're starting to see people get sick of watching cities and stuff burn down and, 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 you're seeing good points out there. You're seeing people are saying, look, we're all on the same page. We all want to see equality, but we want everything to be covered. You know, let's, let's look at things more in depth. So from some aspects, from those aspects, yeah, unfortunately they're few and far in between because you got a lot of idiots on there. But, um, I, you know, I'm with, I, I believe a hundred percent, I'm with Dan where I think it is community. I think you need to start there. I think if you're going to rely on your main leaders, your big politicians, you're in trouble because they don't give a shit about you. You've got to start having real conversations in the neighborhoods, in the communities, 
to try and fix the problems that are happening in there because that's where they start. We don't need to have 16, 17, 18-year-old kids going out there shooting each other. And, and like, this city is in Toronto, I know it's not as high as, as Chicago and others. It's way too high still for me. You're right. Like, doesn't it feel like crazy to see that happening here? Sure. I, always, I just feel like these kids have a chance. They always have a chance, and it's sad. It really is. You know, guys, honestly, uh, the fact that we are able to uh, have this kind of discussion and uh, different views aside, it, it, it's just something that I think has really been lost uh, in terms of hearing a different person's uh, a person's uh, point of view. And if it is different, to have that conversation about it. This episode, this, uh, this um, experience uh, chatting with you guys, uh, has been an absolute treat. Really uh, want to thank you guys so much for joining me today. Tony Antonio, Dan Leggeri, I love you both. Thank you for everything. Thanks, man. I love you too. No problem, man. If I could just close with this as, as sort of a, a show that the, the division, even though the political divide is there in our country and the States, but people to people, like I know Tony as, a good person. I know Tony as a great father. I know Tony as, I assume, uh, a favorable sibling and, you know, <laughs> tolerable son. But, uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, we, we sort of alluded to it a few times about the conversation where we all want the same things at the end of the day. We just disagree on how to get there. And sometimes we get, we get muddled down in that and we get stuck in one spot where we shouldn't even be, but because somebody's feelings got hurt or because something was said the wrong way, we tend to focus on things that don't matter in the big picture. So, uh, you know, I, I hope anybody listening to this can, can take this dialogue as, an, as a perfect example that Tony and I and, and Randy may see things differently, may view the world differently, our experiences are differently, but I, 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 at no time do I wish Tony, for an example, to be locked up or to be mistreated or to... To, to lose his family or his career because of the way he thinks politically. Um, you know, I'll, I'll fight him to the death on certain things, and maybe we'll come to a, uh, an understanding on some and maybe not on others, but at the end of the day, we're all people, we all want the same things, and, and I just hope everybody remembers that at the end of the day. Sorry, can I add something? Yeah, of course, of course. That, that's what's lost in our society. I, I had the same, my, my sister's boyfriend is a black guy, I had the same conversation with him, and it, it got contentious at times. It was ended, but at the end of the day, we got to a finishing point where, okay, there's a understanding, there's a discussion. We don't see eye to eye and everything, but that that's what's eluding us in society these days. It just doesn't happen, and that's why I say if you're relying on people, you know, people of high power to take care of the problem, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. We're in absolute trouble. And, and I'm sorry, and that, and that also, I'm talking about media, and I'm talking about our celebrity trillionaire athletes. If we're relying on them to help solve this, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. These conversations need to happen more. And I agree with you 100%, Danny. Like, this is the way dialogue needs to happen. I don't agree with everything you said, you know, but at the end of the day, it's like, we all want, like you said, we all want the same thing. I am sick and tired of watching kids who have a chance. I'll say it again. I always say it from the bottom of my heart. Kids who have a chance at a good life for themselves killing each other on the street. It, it makes me so sad. 
any uh, comments that you have uh, on Facebook or Twitter at What's Up Podcast, guys, I, I think productive conversations is the bottom line. And uh, we may not be able to change the world, uh, especially in one day, but hopefully you could get to that point where more people uh, can actually come to a realization and an understanding of a different person's point of view. For Tony Antonio and Dan Leggeri, I'm Randy Coure. This is What's Up the Sports Podcast, and we'll talk to you next time.